0: Good morning. My name is Michael. I'm one of the pastors here at the church, and we are very excited to have you with us this morning. It is a uh, the first Sunday of 2007. What a, uh, a weird, it's always weird the first few weeks of a new year. Has anyone written 2006 on something since we've turned the corner? Thank you, Mr. Patterson, for being honest. I'm sure there are others out there. You're a lawyer that's scary, but I'm sure there's others out there that have done that as well. Because it takes a little while sometimes to get into stuff. It takes a little while to to get used to something. A lot of times for me, it takes you know a few days to get used to the new year, to get used to '07. It took me a while sometimes when we'd move. We moved a lot when I was a kid. We've lived all over the country and and in Mexico. You you name it. We've probably lived there. And it took me a while sometimes when we moved somewhere to get used to the new spot. It took me a while to fit in. It took me a while to get my bearings. It took me a while. Sometimes it takes us a while to get used to new jobs or a new family member if one's on the way. There's a lot of pregnant people in our New Heights community, a lot of changes coming down the road for them. It takes a while sometimes to get used to to new things. When I became a Christian, it took me a while to get used to being a Christian. When I decided finally that it was time to take up my cross and follow Christ, it took me a while to get used to really what that meant. It took me a while to get used to being in a relationship with Jesus Christ. It took me a while to get it. I think it takes all of us really a while to get that. It took me a while to figure out how to worship how to truly worship God. At the end of December every year in our church we have what's called the charge conference. And basically what that is, it's a our end of the year report where we all come together in our in our church and we uh we talk about what happened over the last year and we talk about the business of the church and David forecasts our vision for the next year. Over the past few years one of the things that he has done is said that our vision that God has given us is to leave the walls of the church and to be the hands and feet of Christ in the world. We've been so focused on ourselves for such a long period of time that we forgot one of the greatest commands of Christ to go out into the world and to serve. And so for the last couple of years, we've been focusing hard on that. And I think we've done some amazing things. I think the work of God through this body has been amazing. From our trips to Mexico, to the fishing under the bridge, to the Hope Center, Backyard Ministries, all the different things that we've done as we've begun to shift our focus to something else have been amazing. I praise God for us allowing allowing him to use us as his agents, his hands and feet. This year, however, he took a different turn. This year, David, or I guess last year, David said that our new focus is going to be a little different. We're going to hold on to that leaving the walls of the church because that is at core of who the body of Christ is. That is very central to what the church is about. But we're going to add something to it this year. We're going to add worship. We're going to add teaching about worship. We're going to add focusing on worship. We're going to add worship, period. And you might think that, Michael, isn't that's kind of silly because... That's what church is about, really, coming on Sunday mornings and getting together and singing some songs. But quite honestly, I think the reason that we are doing this is because the pastoral staff, myself included, have failed somewhat in teaching on worship. We've kind of failed in in our direction and in our, in our motivation for worship because I, I have said it. I know I have said it. I believe that David has said it as well. We have said from time to time that if you have one place one place to spend an hour for God during the week, don't spend it here. Spend it in a small group. I have said those very words from this stage. While that makes Andy Birchfield, our small groups coordinator, happy, I think there's a little something left out there. Now, I believe that small groups are important. I believe that you find your greatest growth through a small group, through walking through your life with Christ together. That's what he meant that's what he meant for us to do. You can see he gathered together a group of men to follow him so that he could teach, so that they could walk through their experiences together. I think that's very central to being in a relationship with Christ. But I think that we have taught that at times to the detriment of worship. We've taught that at times, and on the backside, we're saying so worship really isn't that important. We want you to be in a small group. So if you come here, good. If you don't, that's all right. And so this year we're getting back to that. Because worship is important. The worship of God is very important. So for the next four weeks, we're going to talk about why. Jenna and I came home Friday from Dallas. We were up there. Grace got her cast off. Uh, She'd been in a body cast for, uh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, for three months, for a fourth of her life, she's been in a body cast, and we've changed diapers through a hole uh, <laughs> for three months. Uh, if you've ever changed a diaper, imagine changing it in a hole that big, um, having to shove it up in there. was good fun. <clears throat> we videotaped it. I'll show it one time. Um, so we got our cast off, and we're driving home, and we're on I-35 uh, coming south, and we're in that stretch of I thirty five between Waco and Temple. I don't know if you know the stretch I'm talking about. It's mind numbingly boring. Um it's that one stretch of road that I dread because I always feel like I'm oh yeah, we're almost to Georgetown. Temple, twenty miles. What? Oh my gosh, we're not even close to Austin and oh, so much further. You know, you have to drive to towns like Lorena and stuff like that and you know, it's just it's kinda of boring. So Grace was bored too. Um she was looking out the window, seeing nothing. So Jenna got in the back seat with her and was kind of playing with her with this little little toy that we have, this rabbit. Um, you know, I have big floppy ears, you know, things like that. And and Grace, she goes, did you hear that? I said, yeah, I know the rabbit has big floppy ears. No, did you hear Grace? I said, no. She's giggling. And I was like, oh, well, that's good. I didn't hear it. And so she does it again. And did you hear that? No, didn't hear that. Well, she's back here giggling, Well, that's great. I hear nothing but cows. I just heard the road really and so I didn't hear any of that. Jenna got a little tired of the rabbit, and maybe Grace did too, so she climbed back in front, and we were driving a little further and um, that's right, my pregnant wife crawls back and forth on i thirty five and we're at a point where uh I started hearing my daughter. It wasn't. <laughs> It was, uh, uh, uh. Uh. if you have kids, you know that this is one of those sounds. that means I'm uncomfortable. I'm either hungry or I have a diaper. I don't know, but I'm uncomfortable right now. And I hear this moan coming from the back, like she was right here in my ear. Uh. She sounds a little more ladylike, I hope, but. I heard the I heard the moan, and I didn't hear the giggle. You know, I heard the complaining, but I didn't hear the good stuff. I think a lot of times, I, as I was driving, I began to think, you know, it's got to be how God feels. All the time, we're like, God this. Oh, why did you do this? Why didn't this happen the right way? Look at all the stuff that's going on in the world. Blah, 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 blah. All he ever hears is us complaining, is us whining and moaning and saying, We're uncomfortable where we are. We don't like what we're doing. I bet a lot of times he wishes he could hear the giggle. I bet a lot of times he's like, Look at everything I've done. Can I get an attaboy once in a while? Can I get you going, Thanks, God? Just think about the last few times that you've prayed. What have you prayed for? What have you been praying? Jenna and I pray every morning. And a lot of times we focus on the prayers of our community and then some of our friends that are going through tough things. And we say, God, could you heal this person and reveal yourself to them? God, could you do this? God, these babies are, you know, in ICU. And could you heal them and just blow the doctor's mind by, God, could you do this? God, could you focus on this? God, could you do that? How often do you sit in prayer with God and go, God, I don't want anything today. I just want to tell you that you rock. I mean, seriously, God, the Rocky Mountains. Awesome. The duck platypus. That is so cool. You're so creative. That is great, God. God, thank you. The sunset yesterday. Well done. Thanks, God. God, thanks for being you. Thanks for being all-powerful. Thanks for being all-knowing. Thanks for being mighty. Thanks. That's it. Just want to tell you howdy and thanks. How often do you do that? How often do you worship God? Essentially, that's what God really wants from us is a relationship. God wants us to come to him in relationship, worshiping him. Because that's all we have to offer him, really. He doesn't need our money. He doesn't need us. He's God. But he desires to be with us. He desires to hear those giggles in our life. To hear those moments in our world when we just say thanks. Thanks for being who you are. Thanks for always being there for me. Even when I'm not there for you. Thanks. That's what he wants. He wants worship. He wants us to spend time with him. He wants us to come together as a body and worship him. Over the past few years, the attendance of our church, sanctuary and new heights combined has gone down drastically. Our attendance on a Sunday by Sunday basis has gone down mainly in the sanctuary, but in here as well. And, David and I talk about this from time to time. And, re- and really our concern is not for, to put it uneloquently, butts in the pews. It's for hearts and souls. We want to know if we're affecting the body of Christ, not just by bringing people here, but by moving people into a deeper relationship with Christ. And so the numbers game to us isn't really all that you know, big of a deal. But I mean, really, that's how the world judges us. Well, what's your Sunday attendance like? How many members do you have and that's your Sunday attendance? Wow. And so we started talking about this. And a few things go into this. One, we live in a community where a lot of people have vacation homes. A lot of people have ranches. A lot of people have places on the lake or in the mountains. And people take vacations a lot. We understand that. We think there's a new reality in Christendom that says that a regular attendee, an active member of a church, shows up two times a month. Used to. You were here every Sunday. But if you show up two times a month, we call you regular. Oh yeah, they're a good member. Because really, you are. You're doing stuff throughout the week. You're involved in a small group. Maybe you're in a Bible study. We have lots of stuff going on at this church throughout the week. We're jam-packed with Bible studies and small groups that meet around the city, but are worship, for some reason. At 9.30, you can't find a room to hold a Sunday school class in. We don't have any more rooms. We are full. My father-in-law's Sunday school class meets in one of the pastor's offices because there's no other classrooms. It's not mine. I wasn't looking out for him. Don't worry. I told them no. Actually, my office isn't big enough. But we have all kinds of stuff going on. 930's packed, 11 o'clock, worship attendance, especially in the sanctuary. Where'd everybody go? Cafe Saltita. And so we want to talk about worship and what's the deal. And why is it important to be here together as a body? Why is it important to come together as the body of Christ And to sing praises to Him. And to in one voice, good and bad, sing praises to God. That's what worship is. Coming together as the body of Christ. And telling Him, you rock. Thank you. I've said this many times before that... That I think I experience God most fully when I am by myself in the wilderness of some sort. When I'm by myself in a deer blind, when I'm by myself on a lake fishing, when I'm by myself outside, that is when I really commune with God. I just get to look at the things that he's created. I get to have time talking with him. I get to spend time that I don't when I'm in the world because I have music on or I have the television on or I'm talking or I'm doing something. It's when I remove myself from all those elements that I really experience God. But there is nothing like coming here on a Sunday morning and experiencing God together. I tell you, so often I stand up here and I stop singing so that I can feel you. It's awesome. It is so great on Sundays when the Spirit is just rolling through here and we're singing a song and people are going nuts and singing and and I can just feel it coming forth as we worship God together. Worshiping God is so important in our, our relationship with Him. It brings us closer to one another as the body and it brings us closer to Him. Let me, let me tell you something. Worship costs. Worshipping God costs you something. If you got your Bibles, open up to 2 Samuel, chapter 24. It's, uh, you'll find 2 Samuel right after, wait for it. 1 Samuel. Before 1 Kings. I lost my marker, so I'm having to find it as well. So maybe we'll get there at the same time. 2 Samuel, chapter 24. David is, uh, is being David really? um David was kind of full of himself at times, and this is one of the times that he was. God told him not to do something, David went ahead and did it. God got a little upset with him and wiped out seventy thousand people. You ever had God that mad at you? <laughs> he wipes out seventy thousand of your best friends. Yeah, David did something wrong, and so God goes, "Okay, I'm gonna have to send the angel of death on you. Here comes the plague. Seventy thousand people are going to die." Actually, he gave him a choice. He gave him three options. You can have this happen, this happen, or this happen. David's like, uh, see, 70,000 people. David's a little worried about this. He pleads to God to stop what's happening. And at verse 18, says, so That day Gad came to David. Gad was a prophet of David's. And said to him, go and build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Aruanah, the Jebusite. So David went to do what the Lord had commanded him. When Arunah saw the king and his men coming toward him, he came forward and bowed before the king with his face to the ground. Why have you come, my Lord? Aruanah said. And David replied, I have come to buy your threshing floor and to build an altar to the Lord there. So that the Lord will stop the plague. Take it, my Lord, and use it as you wish, Rue said to David. Here are oxen for the burnt offering, and you can use the threshing tools and ox yokes for a wood to, buy, to build the fire. I will give it all to you, and may the Lord your God accept your sacrifice. But the king replied, no. I insist on buying it, for I cannot present burnt offerings to the Lord my God that have cost me nothing. So David paid him 50 pieces of silver for the threshing floor and the oxen. David built an altar there to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. And the Lord answered his prayer, and the plague was stopped. David was commanded by God to worship him. And he goes, full intention of doing so. And the guy is generous and says, you're the king. You're coming to worship God. Do whatever you need to do. Take it. But David knew something. He said, no. I can't worship God if it doesn't cost me anything. I can't worship God with with stuff that you've given me. I have to worship God with something that I have. And so he buys the threshing floor and the oxen. He can't worship God without it costing him something, he says. Well, that doesn't mean that every time you come in here on Sunday, you need to drop 50 pieces of silver back there in the offering box. Gold, maybe, but not silver. That doesn't mean that you have to pay to come here and worship God. But it does cost you something. It costs you time. Sunday morning worship costs you time. For some of you with children, it costs you a lot of time. Getting up, getting them ready, making them get out of bed. Some of you wives, same thing with your husbands. It costs you time to come here and to sit and to hear whatever silly thing I'm going to say. It costs you time. Throughout your day as you worship God in your own way, if you're singing a song when you're driving on your car, or maybe you see something majestic and you go, God, that's just amazing. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for showing me that flower. It costs you some time just to take away to worship God. It costs you time with prayer to be in conversation with God. It costs you something. And don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that salvation costs you something because Christ paid that for you. But a relationship with Christ, a relationship with God, takes some investment. Investment of your time and your talents and your energy. It costs you something to come and worship God. So the question is, why do you do it? It'd be much easier for me to sleep in on Sunday mornings. It'd be much easier for me to stay in bed and to wait for the Cowboys to come on TV next season. It'd be much easier for me to do things different. So why do you do it? Why do you make that investment? Why do you spend that time in worshiping God? There's a story of a woman that Luke tells in chapter 7 of his book. And this story in Luke 7 is something that really speaks to me. Not because I'm a woman, but because I feel like I'm like her. It's a story of a dinner party, really. Starting at verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to come to his home for a meal. So Jesus accepted the invitation... And Sat down to eat. I, I love the I love the starting of this. It doesn't say much about the Pharisee at the beginning. It just one one of the Pharisees says, "Hey Jesus, you want to come over to the house and have a little dinner? We're having a cookout. Me and the other Pharisees. It's going to be great. I want to come on over and have some pig?" Of course they wouldn't, but they come on over and and I love you. You've got to think that he has a little sinister idea in the back of his mind he doesn't believe that jesus is the messiah he doesn't think of him as the lord he just says why don't you come over to dinner because we want to trap you in something basically so jesus goes sure i could eat goes over to his house a certain immoral woman heard he was there and brought a beautiful jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee, who was the host, saw what was happening and who the woman was, he said to himself, and I believe that he said to all in the room, This proves that Jesus is no prophet. If God had really sent him, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Can't you see the other Pharisees around the table? Going, oh, she is a sinner. I heard it the other day. You know, just this din of uproar is coming up. And she is, a, oh, I can't believe he would touch a woman like that. He would allow this to happen to her if he really knew who she was. And over the roar of these people talking, I hear Jesus speaking to Simon. he says, Simon, I got something to say to you. Maybe it quiets down a little bit to hear what he says. All right, teacher, Simon replies. Go ahead. And Jesus tells him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 to another. But neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss of greeting, but she has kissed my feet again and again from the time I first came in. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume i tell you her sins and they are many have been forgiven so she has shown me much love but a person who has forgiven little shows only little love then jesus said to the woman your sins are forgiven The men at the table said among themselves, Who does this man think he is going around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I love this story. Why do I worship God? Why do I come here every Sunday, stand in the front, sing the songs? Why do I, when I see something amazing, go, God, thank you for that? Why do I worship God? Because I'm this woman. I worship God because I know he knows me. I know he saw me at Southwest Texas University and all the things that I did there. I know he knows the life that I've led, the thoughts that I've had, the things that I've done, the way I live my life. And yet he looked at me and he said, Michael, your sins, although they are many, are forgiven. He sees into the darkest part of my soul. He says, Your sins are forgiven. Why do I worship God? I owe him at least that. For the forgiveness of my sins, for his torture, for his ridicule and mocking, for the nails through his hands and feet, for his death and resurrection, I owe him my worship. I don't have to give it to him for my salvation, but I owe him my worship. Why do you worship God? Today we are coming to the table of the Lord. If you follow New Heights at all and you're a numbers person, you might realize that we only do communion on even months. And this is an odd month. But we want to do this today because in our eyes there is no purer form of worship than experiencing Christ fully in the sacrament of communion. When you come before the table and you feel the Lord look into your eyes and say, Your sins, although they are many, are forgiven. I died for you so that your sins would be forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. The night that he was sitting with his disciples around the table, the Passover meal, it always astounds me to think of this meeting. Of this meal that they had done, they'd been with him for three years, this is the third one they had done with him. These kids know the liturgy of Passover. They know the words. They know the formula that goes along. There are certain things that are said at certain times. There are certain things uh, the way it's eaten. There's different cups. There's different thi- They know it. They know what's going on. They know what's going to happen next. They're sitting around this table together as a group. They've been together night and day for three years. It's just a normal Passover meal. I can't imagine... What Jesus must have been thinking as He was sitting next to Judas. If you read the Scripture, Jesus is sitting next to Judas. The man who had already betrayed Him. Jesus knew what was going on. He knew what Je- he knew what Judas had done. He knew that He would be in a garden and some soldiers would come and grab Him and take Him away. He knew that a p- crown of thorns would be shoved onto His head, that it would be spat upon, that it would be hit... Mocked, whipped, ridiculed, that nails would go through his hands and his feet. He knew all of this. And yet he lovingly sat next to this man. It was at the supper that he took the bread and he raised it and he gave thanks to God. And he said, take this, eat all of you, this is my body, which is broken for you. After supper, he took the cup and he raised it and he gave thanks to God. And he said, take this drink, all of you. This is my blood, the blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many. As often as you do this, do so in remembrance of me. I bet when he changed the words of the liturgy that night, that the disciples felt something, that they knew something was different. Never before had the rabbi said those words, This is my body, my blood, which is given for you. I'm sure at first there's a little confusion. What's going on? What's he talking about? Why is he changing the liturgy? But maybe it slowly started to sink into them. He's the Messiah, the sacrifice. He is the one who can look at us and has looked at people for the last three years, said, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. The man who couldn't walk, he says, get up and walk. And the Pharisees jump all over him. He says, all right, how about this? Your sins are forgiven. Jesus Christ, the Lord our God, looks into each of our eyes says, your sins, although they are many, are forgiven. Today as you come forward to his table, remember those words. As you take the body and the blood, remember the words of your Savior. Your sins are forgiven. Come with a worshiping heart that you might truly experience His forgiving grace. As those that are coming forward who will help with communion, I ask that you would bow your heads and pray. Heavenly Father, You know the deepest part of all of us. You know who we are. You know what we are. You know the things that we don't like to tell people about. You know the things that we don't even like To tell ourselves about. And even in the midst of that. Knowing what had been and what would come. You gave your life for us. And you offer this table to us. That we might experience your presence here and now. Lord I pray you would open our heart. That we might feel your grace. Your forgiving grace. That we might come to your table with worshipful hearts and experience you like never before. In Christ's holy name, amen.